Thank you for listening to Digress of Obscenity. Follow us on Twitter at Digress underscore Obscene. And rate and review us on iTunes. Everybody in this village just thinks I'm this strange guy that goes to the post office sending off LPs and, 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 <laughs> and CDs and keeps himself to himself, you know. See, that happens now, but one of these days someone's going to walk up to you and go, Excuse me, did you have anything to do with the anal staircase? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then all the awkward conversations begin. Digressive. Obscenity. Shit, what was I talking about? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Digressive Obscenity or... Diagrams of the Hidden Masters, the podcast. My guest today is Danny Hyde. Danny, please start us off. Who are you and what do you do? Tell me about you. I'm uh, Dr. Jekyll's brother. <laughs> um, and what I do, I, I don't know I, what I do. I, I, I play with sounds, I guess. That's an excellent way to put it, yeah. Yeah, I play with sounds. I mean, I was never a technically uh, um, gifted musician, let's say. But I, from a very, 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 very early age, I loved classical music for some reason, and just, just, and the, just the chords, you know, and just, just the sounds and the moods and the, and the places it could take you. So, so when I first got a job in the studio as an engineer, I, I. My best fun was after the client went home, let's say, and uh, I'd stay there all night playing with nice. the, the machines, you know. And, and, and sorry, clients, I will say this now, <laughs> but borrowing your equipment, let's say. Like uh, you'd put up your own roll of two-inch tape and you'd borrow these newfangled keyboards that people had left around for the night, you sure. know. And you'd create things and, and, and make a, a racket and just have great fun and then sleep on the couch for a couple of hours and then the client would come <laughs> in the next day, you know. And you'd have the studio set up the way they'd left it, kind of thing. Sure, yeah. So that's what I originally did. What I do now is I've, I'm, I miss the big studio. I will say I miss the big studios with mm -hmm. lots of people in them at the same time. But like everybody now, I have, I have my little home studio and I have the equipment I had in those days, plus newer equipment. Sure. Just all wired together so that I can still, and probably will to the day I snuff it, I can still play with, with making sounds and having fun, you know. Excellent. Well, I mean, also, I mean, you know, I was discussing this with somebody that did more, you know, more interesting music is that there's only so many notes on a piano and there's only so many combinations of notes on uh, on a guitar. But when you're doing what you do, there's no limitation. It's it's let's take this sound and let's manipulate it and let's turn it inside out and let's break it down and build it up again. It's so much more interesting than, OK, four, four beat. Can we get the click track? You know. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. And also, as you get as you start getting older and you get deafer like me, or maybe you go a bit more senile, you start playing with non-keys. You know, you start yeah. actually enjoying <laughs> out-of-tune stuff. You start inventing your own keys because on the old Akai's, which I still use, as well as you know, as well as software-based things, mm -hmm. you can tune any key you want. I mean, you can take every note and you can tune it any increment you want. So you can create your own key. Let's say you can create a twenty-four note or a fifty note yeah. um, uh, octave if you want, and then you just play it, and it comes out. And ninety-nine point nine 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 times, it will be complete. And I can't. I don't know if I can say this, but it would be complete bollocks. Oh sure. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes there might be just one little loop. You say, you know what? <laughs> I love that. 
Now, you won't be able to play anything against it because it's in its own stratosphere, but you can yeah. put some rhythm against it and um, and sit there and enjoy it, you know. Absolutely, yeah. That's It's a lot more interesting sometimes than, you know, you know, hey, look, I have an acoustic guitar. Well, I tell you what, it, it, if I could play acoustic guitar, I'd probably, uh, I'd probably use some of that as well. But uh, sure. I know what you're saying. You're probably less restricted in, in, in one way. In one way, you're less restricted. In another way with machines, you are more restricted in that you can't... A lot of the time, it's not as spontaneous as it is with picking up a real instrument. With a real instrument, you can yeah. just... You know, with, with, with programming, you can get into um, what we used to call, what Pete and used to call, uh, white coats and microscopes, which is where you do something and you analyze the crap out of it. Yeah. And, uh, and then perfect it, perfect it, perfect it, perfect it. And by the time you finish with it, all the spontaneity is gone and... You know, it's it's very clinical. Exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. So that's one of the, one of the flip sides of machines. It would be be, be nice. It, I I miss having some players around. Maybe that's the one thing I should do in this village because there's a lot of good musicians in this village. Is maybe in time, reach out to a couple of them and 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 just get them in. You know. And just uh, get them yeah, and acclimate them to your the, the 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 terrifying secret of of this this pleasant man. <laughs> yes, yeah, something like that. Yeah, or or in the words of them, probably, what have you done to my guitar solo? <laughs> <laughs> or what you could always do is, you know, just have them in and say, like, yeah, you know, we're just gonna play around with some acoustics, and then like, yeah, thanks. And then when when they've left, then you can apply it to this, you know, this distorted, crazy sonic abortion that you've created in the dark, and just kind of have that ridiculous juxtaposition of, you know the quiet British strummings of a old folk guitar and then this, you know, exploding sound that you've, that you've somehow spit into this world. I think that's probably what would happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so segueing into the questions segment. Questions. Stop asking me questions. What is your favorite episode or moment of the Simpsons? Oh, oh okay. Okay, funny enough, I've really enjoyed a, an episode where they they uh, they outsourced all the guys to India. Uh-huh, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they outsourced uh, Homer Simpson to India. I think that's, that was the one that sticks in my mind. Because the, the Simpsons on here is on just before the Channel 4 News, and okay. um, on, on which is like uh, quite a, recent, a reasonable news program. And so I've actually never sat down to watch The Simpsons, mm -hmm. but it kind of, bum you know, it bumbles into your brain sometime and you always find out you enjoy it, you know, and always Absolutely. wonder why you, why you don't watch it more. But that, that episode for some reason sticks in my head just because it, it made me laugh. It was kind of political in its own little way and, sure. and funny. <laughs> what are you listening to right now? I'm listening to a guy called Paul um, Guyer from, mm -hmm. from New York. I've heard of him, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on my Skype at the moment. Um, what, I'm, what I'm listening to, that's a, that's a good question. Um, what am I listening to? What am I listening to? You know what? I'm not listening to much at all. I'm, I'm, I, I get sent a lot of, um, of people's work, mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I, I feel obliged to be, because I know how much effort they put into it to listen to a whole album. So... Recently, I've been listening to a couple of albums that people have sent me of stuff they've done, you know. Sure. Um, and 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 some of it is really really good, but but because because I'm associated, let's say, in their mind with Coil, yeah, they ninety nine point five percent of the time they they are they are remonstrations of what they think a bloke who was worked with Coil would like. 
So just so, screaming so, and wood chippers. Yeah, I don't. I don't get sent a really strange, you know, um, <laughs> six eight medieval piece or something. I do feel obliged to at least listen to the album twice um, because they put work into it and they've sent it to me, and I don't want to write back and say, "Yeah, yeah, great," when I haven't listened to it because Absolutely. I. I, I I remember the days of A&R when you'd work hard, you'd make a CDR, you'd take it to them, and you knew as soon as you walked out the door, they'd binned it, you know, yeah. or whatever. I didn't want to be doing that. So that's what I've been listening to. But because of my age and because I, I live in a small village where I don't know anybody, mm -hmm. and because most of my friends seem to have been dying, like Peter, like John Deke just recently, and mm -hmm. most of the people that I was involved in music with have been disappearing. Yeah. I'm not getting the recommendations from friends I used to get, which is, you know, Pete was great at recommending stuff to listen to, and, and, and it would send you off on a path. I'm not getting that. So I'm having to bumble my own way into finding things like uh, I might listen to, I love Arab music, and I might listen to some Arabic music, and then, sure. it, and then it takes me to another link, and then another link, and then another link, and I, I drift off into places I don't even know, you know. That's always exciting when you start with something that I think I, I think I saw this person open for this person. Next thing you know, you know, five hours later, there's 20 bands you've never heard of that are all doing something interesting. You've got it. You've got it. Yeah. Yeah. So but but now you put me on the spot because you're right. I'm, I'm not supporting music. I'm, I'm not buying anything. I'm not. Uh, you've paid I your dues. You you know. <laughs> yeah. Once you've. Well, first of all, you've gotten to this point where you've created music as long as you're con you've contributed something. So there's no longer that you should not feel bad that you're not going out and, you know, buying stuff right now because you've you put in your time. You know, it, it's teenagers who are just using the Internet to download stuff and never really listening to it. They need to pay their dues. You have paid your dues. Talking of that, I tell you, the one of the nicest uh, emails I ever received was a guy wrote to me and said, I've downloaded your album for free and I'd like to pay you for it. I thought <laughs> that was so sweet. You know, I, I wrote back and I said, no, keep it. But I just, he, he actually did pay, but I, I just thought that was so sweet because absolutely it, it's it's almost easier to find something free now than it is find the site to buy it from. Sure, Unless, of sure. course, it's on iTunes. But yeah. not everything is on iTunes. For instance, you know, stuff I'm involved with at the moment never gets on iTunes. So yeah. people, people write and they find it hard to find. I think it's easier to find it free on Pirate Bay or something, you know. I, I've got to be honest, in the past I was a downloader. Um, oh, I still and, am, yeah. But the and, thing is, and, if I like something, I will buy it. You know, I mean, normally, nowadays, it's like I'm so excited to get something that when it leaks, you know, a, a week or two early, I'll get it and I'll go, okay, good, this is, this is exactly what I was looking for. And then I'll buy the physical copy because I like the artwork. You know, I like the lyrics. I like to sit there and look at something, especially vinyl. You know, you have, you can have an entire art book in front of you it just it lends so much more to just you know oh i'm gonna put this in my my crappy little ipod earbuds and go jogging while not really listening to this you know right right yeah yeah i would agree i, I when i received the desert shore from cozy which you sent me over some of the desert shore stuff i mm -hmm. i loved actually having the physical thing you know sure maybe it's our collector mentality but it was it was nice to have the object it felt more important than exactly just a little download or a youtube clip you know yeah the ease with which you can download something you know that's cool but i am trying to get you know physical coil releases because it's never just a cd is what i'm learning you know everything the packaging is so unique and the liner notes are so much more than this is joe joe played guitar you know it's like just <laughs> that little paragraph on on the front of horse rotator which is about the four horsemen of the apocalypse slitting oh. their horses throats and the jawbone it's like that's not something you see on you know a beatles vinyl <laughs> i tell you that's a funny quote that 
because um, <laughs> that was one of, I'd worked with Coil before Horse Rate Vader, okay? Mm-hmm. And I just remember I, I lived in this crappy flat in Stockwell, which is down there, Brixton. Mm-hmm. And I took the train into Chiswick to work on Horse Rotovator with Coil. And it was a Sunday morning, and I was so miserable, and it was, I was so depressed. Yeah. And I walked in to be, you know, for Jeff to, to, to which is John Balance, Jeff, yeah. Jeff to actually, that was the quote he gave me. He said, <laughs> what we're working on here, he said. And he gave that quote there with the, the horse's jaw. And I just thought, I don't think I can get any more depressed. But I, but I actually really enjoyed working on that. Sure, But that yeah. was the first introduction to that project. <laughs> Jeff said that because they lived down the road from, from the stu- Paradise Studios in Chiswick. And so I got yeah. over there and I met them. I'd, I'd done a few other things with them. like some, like I, I'm still convinced that the... The Hellraiser music, and yes. because the first things I did with them was all these um, toy sounds, like uh, demented uh, children's toy tunes. Sure, and, yeah. And and that was when I first met them. But it was a time when I was working with hundred clients every month, you know. And so clients came, clients went, clients came, clients went, because I was yeah. a freelance engineer there. Yeah. And um, and that was when I suddenly thought, who am I working with? Who are re- <laughs> who really are these guys? Because it was a Sunday morning and I was really hung over probably and I was really depressed and I left my, she was my girlfriend then, but I said, I've got to go and work with these guys. They're a bit odd, but they're quite nice. Sure. And I went over there and Jeff met me at the door and that was his description. This is what we're working on today. It's about this jawbone. And I was like, oh my God, somebody please slip my wrists. I can't take this anymore. <laughs> but yes, that was Horse Rotovator. And I, I still love that record, actually. I really do. Um, so, going from uh, what are you listening to? What are you reading right now? I'm rereading um, Papillon. Oh, nice! That's the yeah, uh, I, w- the I, one that they they made the movie out of that, right? With Dustin Hoffman, the prison. That's movie? right. Oh, wow. I read it. I read it as a kid, and and I anybody who's been married and 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 been divorced will know this thing. But what happens is after you finally set up house again, anybody will know you end up with boxes of stuff. Yeah. that you're allowed to have and a lot of it is from a distant past you you barely remember and and, and in one of these boxes was, was this old tattered copy of papillon and i thought god i really like that book i'll start reading that again you know so that's what we're on at the moment but excellent uh, what are you watching right now if anything um well like everybody i've been following breaking bad and i believe oh, over yes. in the states over in the states you've i'm hoping that very quickly you you're going to get uh, number nine of series five because yeah, spl- i think it's actually it may have uh maybe last night or tonight great great oh, wow. i check. i did check the old pirate by i shouldn't say that word i did check them last <laughs> night actually to see if it was up yet but uh, but uh <laughs> I, I i never i there's a that's where the internet's really good my tv channels that i have have never shown breaking bad yeah. i picked up on breaking bad just from a conversation on the internet and I've been following the series by, you know, downloading a series and watching it, and sure. I've, I've kind of caught up. So yeah, so that that's that. I quite enjoyed that. So going from that, uh, have you ever broken a bone? <laughs> have you obviously not seen the pictures I put up on the, on the accident in Cambodia, eh? No, I haven't. Oh my god! Yeah, I, I, my leg got complete on a visa run when yeah. I was out there on that trip uh, sure. working with Pete. In two thousand six, two thousand seven, on the threshold a, boy, the threshold house boys choir. Yeah, and yeah. on the desert shore and the new backwards and all that stuff. Yeah, um, I I had to do a visa run to Cambodia, and um, I got 
ridiculously smashed up by a by a motorbike with three guys on it hit me ah. at speed now i don't remember anything about it but uh i had i had a pregnant thai girlfriend i have a son in thailand you see and mm-hmm. um but she was pregnant she was pregnant on um she was on the back of my motorbike, and apparently I was off looking for mashed potato. There was this Australian guy who had this little cafe in Koh Kong who made great mashed potato. And apparently, <laughs> I do remember turning up at his door, and he was out on his boat. And apparently then I said, I'm going off looking for mashed potato, and that's the last I remember. I was probably a little bit pickled, so this accent you can blame slightly on me. But I had a pregnant girl on the back. Yeah. And the last thing I remember is her saying is something bad's going to happen to us. And she was absolutely right. I wish she'd taken over and driven the bike. But apparently I was I was in the road and I was slightly over to the left side. They drive on the right in Cambodia. Yeah. And they, they normally drive slow in this sleepy little town. But these three guys, apparently they appeared from nowhere at vast speed and they smashed into me and they Oof. completely obliterated my leg and, and broke my shoulder. Now, luckily, the pregnant girl on the back didn't take any of the hit because good, good, yeah. you've got to imagine this town is like is like the wild west it's it's a nutty little dusty town with no real facilities and if you're gonna have if you're gonna die out there you will die quite easily let's put it that way gotcha but but i woke up uh, apparently i was out for about 10 minutes and this thai girl was shouting at all these cameras you know in thai you know help him help him but they didn't want to get involved there's a, there's a big thing out in the east with accidents that if you get involved maybe you'll get blamed for it so oh, and then you'll gotcha. get charged so they'd not be nasty they just stayed out the way but eventually the police came mm-hmm. and they picked me up and they threw me in the back of their truck and they <laughs> took me to this clinic and they got the doctor to open it up and all i remember is lights on and and then being wheeled out, the guy wheeled me out into the street and he closed up the clinic and said, I'll come back tomorrow. So my poor pregnant girlfriend all night, <laughs> dripping blood from my leg, she, she had to keep the mosquitoes off me, you know, oh, and she, she's eight months pregnant. And she kept the mosquitoes all night. Now, in the morning, the doctor opened and brought me back in. I hadn't looked at my leg yet. I didn't see it till Thailand. But I'd met this German guy. Lucky for me, I met this German guy who really knew his onions. A guy called Fritz, unbelievably. A German called Fritz. Can you believe it? <laughs> and he, he'd been out in West Africa, and he'd had friends killed in Sierra Leone, and he was living out in Cambodia, and he really knew his, his stuff. And yeah. I just remember him slapping me around the face, and he said, Danny, if you don't get to Cambodia, they're cutting your leg off today. Jesus Christ. If, if you don't get to Thailand, if you don't leave Cambodia. And I said, well, let's go. He said, there's a problem. He said, the police want $1,000 from you. Because you're a Westerner and the accident, you've got to pay them. But, it, but, he, but he said, it's been heard there's been a meeting and the police don't want to pay the guys that hit you because they're the local troublemakers. They want the money for themselves, but they want $1,000 before they let you leave this clinic. Now, I was on the end of my trip. I was on a visa run. I didn't have long left to work with Pete before I was going back to England. I didn't have $1,000. I just didn't have it. Yeah. And my phone was broken and, you know, and, and I didn't have any contact or anything. Everything was gone. And um, what he did was the next minute, I, I, I remember being in this in this taxi, being sh- rushed to the border with Thailand. Yeah. And I, my shoulder was broken and my leg was a big mess. And I, they would only let me in if I, I did a thumbprint on the visa thing to get into Thailand. Sure. My so I remember thumbprinting this thing and we went 160 kilos into Thailand, into Trat, to this hospital. Mm-hmm. And I remember waking in the taxi and saying, King's, uh, King's Hospital, King's Hospital, because... They normally take a Westerner to the private hospital, and that's going to cost you an arm and a leg, okay, so sure. to speak. Literally, in this case. <laughs> yes. And the King's Hospital is uh, 
is reasonable, reasonably priced. So, so I got dragged into the King's Hospital, and 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 cut a long story short, they did a hell of a lot of work on it, and then they couldn't pin it. The bones are all broken below the knee. They couldn't pin it because of the infection, because it was it already started going off. Yeah. I mean, there's this huge rip. You know, all the muscle was out and bones and stuff was hanging out of this hole. Dear God. And and um, they couldn't pin it because because they said the guy was a really good surgeon. He said, look, we can't pin it because because infection, but we'll we'll clean it out and and then we'll get you back into surgery in a couple of days and we'll stitch it all up and all that kind of stuff. And they put a cast on me and and luckily I I managed to get in touch with Peter via one of the nurses. She let me use her computer mm-hmm. and and Pete sent some money down. So after they kicked me out of the hospital, we rented a little place for you know for a month while this cast was on. But the funny thing is, when I was in the hospital, Fritz turned up to tell me the true story about what happened. And he'd said to the clinic, this man is a very important man in England. If you <laughs> don't allow him to leave and you take his leg off because it's going gangrenous or whatever, he will sue your clinic so bad, you will have to close down. <laughs> so with the doctor, they make, they've organized this escape in this taxi. Now, a couple of days after being in the hospital in, in, in Thailand, these five Khmer's turned up, these five Khmer coppers turned mm-hmm. up with a with a, a Thai policeman and this made me worried because we're in Thailand and they've got a Thai policeman and these Khmer cops are not in their uniforms they're plain clothes and they came up to demand their thousand dollars into Thailand 160 kilometers into Thailand and I got my girlfriend I said can you speak to the Thai policeman in Thai and find out what's going on because she was still pregnant she was about to drop this baby sure and she came back she said don't worry the Thai policeman's picked up at the border they've paid him some money to come and look official he doesn't give a shit he says this <laughs> He says there's a Cambodian problem. He's not interested. So don't worry about it. So when I knew that, I relaxed. And the next minute, all the doctors threw these police out. These Khmer police. They were throwing out. The Khmer police are shouting. They're getting thrown out of the hospital. They'd driven all that way to get their $1,000. <laughs> all they wanted, my leg. But, uh, but anyway, so, so that was the broken bone story. And, it, it, you know, I, I, wow. actually still, I actually still limp. We're going on six years now. So, sure. yes, I have broke some bones. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay uh do you collect anything intentionally um i used to collect fishing lures believe it or not like fly fishing yeah like fly fishing but lures for for musky the same as uh out in wisconsin they fish for musky you know sure. uh, lures i used to collect lures because when i had a car and i had a, a a leg that works and and stuff i used to go off to the norfolk broads and and catch pike, you know, yeah. as as a way of relaxing. I used to just, I used to just love the places it take me to. These wild, desolate, non, you know, no people around areas. The old fen drains that the Dutch built in the 16th century, and just wander for miles. And, and what, when you suddenly find one lure that works, you end up buying a hundred more, you know. So, yeah. so that's what I did collect. I've got a shed load of lures now, which I don't use. Your phone rings. It's Robert Hollywood the vice president of Hollywood, he wants one suggestion from you as a way to improve the entertainment industry. You know the first thing that came to my mind? Sure. More naked girls, but I shouldn't say that really. (laughs) (laughs) Danny, if you're looking for more naked girls, you clearly have not met my friend the internet. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, entertainment, how to improve it. Make it 3D. I mean, I keep waiting for the day when instead of uh, 3D TVs, we'll have holographic, uh, you know, holographic um, beamers on our ceiling, which will beam down, uh, you know, graphics 3D in the middle of the room. Yeah, like 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 the like the Star Trek holodeck. 
it's sort of thing yeah yeah exactly so you can watch the movie taking place in the front of your room or watch the band play in your room you know sure. i've been waiting for that that's what we need to get to to improve uh, the entertainment i feel like we're getting close i mean i remember you know how you're always wondering why isn't technology gone further than it is and then i remember a few months ago when uh, the curiosity rover landed on mars somebody posted um i'm looking at pictures of mars taken by a robot on my handheld computer <laughs> yeah, the right. future is happening now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is pretty futuristic. Yeah. yeah, but we're not there yet. But I'm, I'm, you know, hopefully we'll be there for that. I'm, I'm all down for holograms. All right, so that those were the questions. Now we're going to, you know, move gently into the uh, the digression. So let's let's digress. What? What is the first movie you remember seeing, and how did it affect you? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. As, as kids, we used, to, we used to bunk into the cinema. I don't know if you have that in the States. But, uh, we try. I mean, they, they get a little, you know, it depends. Once you get a system working, it's a little easier, but, you know... It depends on how lazy the people working at the theater are that day. Yeah. Sure. We're going back early days, you know, to the... To, I mean, this took early 70s. Sure. I, I, I had some a little gang of friends and we would see everything. And and so a lot of the first, the, probably not the first movies I ever saw, but movies I remember are things like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know. Yeah. See them at 11 and stuff, you know. Nice. Um, <laughs> and, and it was pretty scary, you know. So I remember sure. that. And I remember seeing The Exorcist, but I couldn't say that was the first film I ever saw. Cause that's about 10 or 11, you know. Yeah. So first movie... Yeah, I mean, it, it it all comes in from that, from those, from those, 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 those movies, those early seventies movies, at the cinema. They obviously weren't the first films I ever saw because they would have been films on TV, but they're the first sure. ones that struck vividly in my brain. And they did no lasting damage whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> no, just see the bodies buried in the garden. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. It's it's made you the man you are today. I mean, God forbid that you remembered seeing Disney movies. Who knows? What kind of music you? Oh, be now you've really hit a nerve. Yes, Bambi. <laughs> I do remember seeing Bambi. It made me cry like a. <laughs> I don't know if it was the first movie. Um, what is the last dream that you remember? <laughs> I, I fell asleep this afternoon. I was up all last night. I'm, I'm a night person, so mm -hmm. I went to bed about eight o'clock this morning. And uh, so the recent dream was not that long ago. It had to do with my Thai girlfriend, actually, and it was, it was quite pornographic, so I won't mention it. And, and, and a, an old friend of mine, luckily he won't be listening to this, I, I assume, and he wouldn't know if it was him anyway, but his, but his wife. It had his wife and my girlfriend, and it was, it was very weird and pornographic and, and quite interesting, but I, I won't say any more. Excellent. That's wonderful. We'll, we'll, let the, we'll let the listener's imagination take care of that. Wonderful. Um, what is the worst job you've ever had? Um, oh, the worst job I've ever had. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Kitchen porter at a summer hotel down in Cornwall when I, when I was uh, 18, 19. Yeah, washing dishes and, and being made to get up at, you know, five o'clock or six o'clock and, and, and make toast. Make hundreds and hundreds of toast and, it, and you're sweating all over the poor old people's toast. Little <laughs> did they know. And the sweat's just pouring off you on this toast. I just remember. And then... Reams and reams of dishes, washing them up. That that was pretty, pretty, pretty. That was pretty boring and pretty miserable. Yeah. Sure. What is your zombie apocalypse escape plan? Who would you want with you? Where would you go? Uh, I I I think I think I just sit on my 
big ass in my room. <laughs> Just let it happen. <laughs> I guess I would, yeah, and hope they ignored me. Because that's the stage I've reached in life where I seem to be, you know, not seeing people for days on end. So, sure, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and what with the leg now after the Cambo accident? I wouldn't be too good in escaping unless I had uh, some kind of invisibility cloak. Sure. I guess. Yeah, so sorry, zombies, here I am. Have your food. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay, so that was, uh, that was the end of the digressions. Now, Danny, let's get specific. Let's get specific. Uh, so we've touched on this a little bit, but um, what was your very first exposure to Coil? How did you fall in with Peter Christofferson and John Balance? Oh, okay. Well, I, I remember that really well, actually. And I, I got a feeling, <laughs> looking back, I got a feeling that the, the fact that I've got the name Hyde yeah. interested. They never mentioned it, but I got a feeling that stuck in their minds, this bloke <laughs> Hyde we're working with, because that would have that would have kind of tickled some of their sensibilities particularly peter this mm. bloke's called mr hyde you yeah. know that would have tickled it but i think the thing i think that the conversation that got me the job and the one i remember the first conversation i ever had with pete well before horse rotavator mm -hmm. was <laughs> i'd been in amsterdam at 21 and a friend of mine obviously coming from the music business let's be honest drugs were quite freely available of course so we're in amsterdam i'm in amsterdam with my best mate i want to get a bit of cocaine he buys some acid I've never tried acid. I don't know anything about it. He mm. says, oh, look, I, I couldn't get coke, but I've got this. Let's have these. And we had these, <laughs> we had these tablets. And I've got to be honest, I'm not going to sell this at all. It was one of the most horrific rides of my life. <laughs> it was one. The first half was probably one of the finest times of my life. Yeah. But at the end of it, it was one of the most horrific times of my life. And it really scared the crap out of me for many years. <laughs> well, about... Four months after this, it seemed, I was in the studio working with Pete and Jeff for the first time. Yeah. And I was still very affected by this acid trip. And I just happened to mention it, which you don't do with clients. You know, you should, it should be a client. You should be very <laughs> professional. But for some reason, with Peter, it seemed like I could have this chat. And I, I yeah. discussed this, this trip in Amsterdam and, you know, how, what it was about. And he got, he got really deep in the conversation about it. And, you know, we stopped doing the music and we were chatting about this Amsterdam trip. Yeah. And, um... It seemed from that point on, we worked for many years, you know. So that was my first introduction to them. They were just another client in Paradise Studio, which, which was probably the first computerized studio in, 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 in Europe, certainly, maybe the world. It, yeah. it was totally, you know, computerized with Fairlights and everything. But it happened to be down the road from them, and I happened to do sessions. I mean, right across the board, I even recorded a linguaphone language course in there once. Nice. So, you know, suddenly these guys are in there and for some reason, something in Peter, I thought this is the guy I can talk to about this strange experience that is blowing my mind because I had nobody to talk to about it. You know, sure. Nobody yeah. un I had this thing had completely blown my brain and I didn't know how to make sense of it in a, in a normal way. So I must have seen something in Pete or J Pete and Jeff that I thought these guys might understand what the hell I'm talking about here. Yeah. <laughs> And we had that conversation, and I think that probably stuck in their minds. Hey, we found an engineer that knows what he's doing, plus knows <laughs> that side of life, and his name's Hyde. And, and so, perfect and match, so, yeah, and the rest <laughs> is history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was my first meeting. Going off that, of all the work you did with Coil, what was, what was your favorite moment? Is there something that stands out as, you know, just the shining memory? Oh... Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I know. This is a I tough you, one, yeah. Well, I tell you what, my, my best fun, my best fun was, was working in New Orleans, was the album that never got released, Backwards. Yeah, we just, yeah. We just made a connection there. I mean, Jeff had been doing um, vocal lessons, and 
suddenly Jeff was singing in New Orleans and it made sense because mm. Jeff had all these ideas and it's a bit like that, that, that saying pornography is only dangerous when it's done well. Yeah. It's like sometimes you can, you can, let's say that some guy can, and I'm not saying Jeff here, but let's say some guy can rant and rave during a tune and it just sounds like a, a college student having a tantrum. Yeah. But someone else can control what they're doing and it has real power. You know, you can understand the words they're saying sort of thing. Sure. Well, in New Orleans, we put the mic up and Jeff started singing. And again, it was, it was recording into studio vision uh, against the multi-track. So it meant you could do take after take. You didn't have to keep one take and drop in. Yeah. And, and I suddenly realized his voice, you, you know, it just, it seemed to have a different power. And, and it just made the sessions really good fun. Hmm, interesting. So, so yes, the album that was never released, actually, was my favorite time working with Coil. I mean, obviously, that for Dark Memories, Horse Rotovator. Yeah. There was just something so dark about that. Well, the subject matter, I mean, when you, when, when you open with that paragraph that Jeff gave you, it's like, how can there be any room for light on that? Yeah, yeah and it's just... It was just, I mean, particularly Pete, it's just the experiments they were doing were just, they were just not your normal session. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Coming in with dixophone recordings of kids singing in Mexico and stuff, it just didn't happen then. You know, everybody wanted everything pristine and and Roland, uh, you know, D10 or D50 or whatever and, and, and shimmering and kind of Nick Kershaw and, you know. And these guys came in with stuff, and it didn't matter if it was, you know, recorded off your answer phone. We're going to use it, you know. Exactly. It's it just great. I mean, well, specifically, I mean, like, you know, being recorded off the off the answer phone, like, um, is Suicide a Solution? Like, that is one of the darkest goddamn pieces of music I have ever heard in my life. And there's no, you know, there's no affectation to it it's not somebody writing a really dark song it's just this message with that like noise in the background jesus it's so fucking effective you know it is it is it's 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 a great track that one i love that track yeah and it's also i mean like when when i found out that the very first thing that coil released to the world was how to destroy angels and i sat down and i listened to that and it is literally 13 minutes of what sounds like someone hitting a cymbal and then when it gets too quiet hitting a pipe and it's 13 minutes like when that is the first thing that you present to the world you're not thinking like okay this is a radio single this yeah, is going to be the yeah, deep yeah. you say no hi we're coil here's 13 tr- 13 minutes of we had a drum kit and a pipe like that is so ballsy that is so that's so rare these days you know Oh, and also, and also, I mean, you've got to remember that Pete was putting his own money into this kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. I mean, he was. It's it's okay saying ninety percent of us will say what we want to do, but actually having the conviction to put our own money behind it is a yeah. different thing. Exactly. It's a bit like it's a bit like a gamble isn't a gamble unless you're, you're putting your own money on the horse. Let's say. Exactly. You know, it, it's easy watching deal or no deal and saying, "Oh, why are you dealing, you idiot? Go on." But if you were the guy, you know, it's, it's that situation. And you're right. I mean. Pete was was one one of himself. He just had the conviction to do it. Yeah. And he, you're, every other session, you're right. Which is the signal on this? Because we we used to do a thing called demos. Then record companies would send a band in to do four demos with a view of signing the band. And these were high pressure occasions, obviously, because the band had put everything in their life into these four songs. So there was sure. the politics and the dynamics and and the sessions were quite heavy. You know, because this was their do or die moment. And yeah, so yeah, this is the audition, up, sure. 
you often ended up with bands fighting and stuff. And and we'd call that you know they came in and did something totally different. It's almost like we don't care if anybody likes this. This is what we're doing. You know, it was just so different. Yeah, I think the great thing was absolute freedom I mean, Jeff used to have a saying you do a sound let's say around the time after Horse Rotivator you'd be doing there were so many tracks that never actually saw the light of day okay yeah. they were worked on but you'd be doing a sound and, and, and you'd come up with this sound and you, you would think this is what these guys want so you do this sound and Jeff would say oh no that's old coil you know <laughs> it's like in other words they didn't want they didn't really didn't want to fit in a mold of what coil was other people decided what coil was and and, and fans now decide this bit's coil or that bit's coil or, yeah but the reality was they were as free as it comes and i'm sure if, if jeff had stayed alive i mean who knows where it would have gone you know i mean i remember one of the last conversations i had with jeff just before he died he was really into neil young you know i oh mean oh my god wow. you know he really liked that neil after the gold rush album you know yeah yeah <laughs> um and so so it, it, there was not a fr there was not a restriction on what you could like yeah you know it, and 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 it was that freedom that made it really good fun to work on okay so actually so going from that so at the time that um the time that you were in new orleans in the 90s that was when you were also working uh with nine inch nails at nothing um well it, it was um it was slightly after that. We'd, we, we'd, we'd done Closer and, and Downward Spiral and Erasure in, in 94. Yeah. And in 96, uh, we were invited out to, to Trent's studio. You know, there was that. There were, the album was, was to go out on nothing records and stuff. So, yeah. so some kind of deal was struck where we were allowed to finish it in Trent's studio. So, you know, it was basically um, up sticks, travel over to New Orleans, finish the album, it will go out on nothing records yeah so so yeah we popped out there and we met him and 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 the lad stayed at trent's house in the garden and me and drew stayed in a hotel and I, i'm not knocking it was a nice little hotel but it wasn't quite the garden absolutely yeah <laughs> but um but uh, so we stayed out there and we sort of hung out and uh, you know the coil being the coil lads looking back it was great 90 percent of bands would have said hey trent can you play some stuff on this because they would have realized the kudos of getting Trent to play on the thing. Absolutely. Everybody wants to hear Coil now that Trent Reznor's on it, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, but they didn't do it. I mean, did not um, did not use that uh, to their advantage in any shape or form. Just yeah. did what we were out there to do, you know. Obviously, we used Pod and, 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 and some of the, the, the guys that are around, you know, to borrow their machines and things. Sure. But um, looking back, I mean, I guess somewhere it could be seen as a slightly missed opportunity for them to have a jam together you know <laughs> that's that's actually yeah that's something that you know i'm i'm a firm believer in you know the whole parallel universes thing and that you know the whole uh, quantum physics and how every decision you know splits off and creates its own thing was there ever discussion of not a coil nine inch nails collaboration but a you know a nine inch nails and jeff and Pete and you and Drew collaboration, maybe not under the moniker of Nine Inch Nails or Coil, but just, you know, a project with them? Or was it always just, nope, come in, finish your album here, I'll see you guys later? Well, I, I think I think the bad feeling that came about from the fact that, that Backwards wasn't released. Gotcha. Um, and it, and I, I, my, my understanding is, because I had, I had a huge amount of publishing on that, I'd done a deal with Coil that the songs I'd written on that album, I was due a certain amount of publishing, so yeah. I had had an uh, you know an an interest in how the deal went but every time i spoke to pete you know when's it coming out when's it coming out because i had a publisher banging on my shoulder you know he wanted his advance back or whatever yeah 
and 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 it was always delayed, delayed, delayed. But the you know the, I trusted Pete and and Jeff, and I knew they were doing the right thing. But I got a feeling that there were certain restrictions that Interscope were asking, which Pete couldn't fulfil. Hmm. Along the lines of you can never direct a video for anybody else but us, kind of thing. <laughs> sure. And there was, I mean, Pete, being the gentleman he was, never slagged off anybody. But yeah. I knew that the contract that was laid on the table was not acceptable to the Coil Boys, which means it must have been very restrictive. So I've got a feeling that once we entered that phase, uh, you know, the talk of a if if we'd got through that phase, yeah. there would have been great talk about a collaboration. But I've got a feeling that business, which which went on for a couple of years scuppered the idea that that was a good idea until they'd resolved that problem you know that's that's so awful that's, that's so awful when when the the record companies that you need to make an album get in the way of making an album that is yeah. so father oh, yeah, so fucking self-destructive Jesus. well i tell you what the flip side of that when i told you that's when i took a break that's why i took a break because yeah. um after the backwards album i had a publisher and and he'd advanced me against the fact this album was taking place. And when it didn't take place, yeah. I had to face him all the time. You know, when's it coming out? When's it coming out? You yeah. know, because of my royalties, blah, 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 blah. And that's when I gave up. I, in 1998, I wrote it to, to the Coil Boys after I'd done, I'd done some remixes for that backwards thing. And I wrote to Pete and Jeff and I said, look, I'm out of this business. I can't handle this anymore. My publisher was doing my head in. I said, I'm, res I'm, I'm, I'm now retiring. And so I, ret I, I stood out of the business from 1998 to 2002, which is where I missed out on those lovely things they did then, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I really regret that. But that was p nothing to do with the Coil Boys. That was just the business. Just of, the business uh, fucking up the art. Yeah. It, it, well, I had, pr you know, I got new ch kids. I've got all the problems anybody has with that. And I had a publisher banging on all the time. And he wouldn't give me the second part of advance until the mm -hmm. album was out. And I was caught in this cycle where where it was all going to, to crap, let's say. Yeah. And so I thought, I'm getting out of this business, I'm going to get myself another job. So I went and worked in uh, news broadcasting for a while, you know, um, being the sound engineer for those kind of news feeds, you know, 24-hour yeah. news feeds. Yeah, yeah. And it was great. You were paid on time. The job was quite boring, but the people were lovely. Yeah, exactly. With, um, and the money was good, and they were paid on time. And, 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 you know, I did that for a couple of years until... 2002 when i wrote back to i got in touch with pete again i said look i'm really bored doing this now is there anything <laughs> going on the music side sure because uh, I, I was out of my publishing deal by then you know we'd we'd we'd, we'd cut tires i was free yeah. again and then i went up there and, and we worked on remote viewer and the uh, um un, uh, unearthly red and stuff you know yeah and and they played me all the wonderful things they've been doing in the meantime and it was beautiful some of the stuff pete was playing me you know yeah absolutely but, there would have been music to play in the dark one and two and i was like oh dan you idiot why weren't you why weren't you involved with this this is lovely <laughs> um okay so actually going back to that you, with the with the remixes so what what is a remix to you why why are they important right well the remixes of i mean talking at that time yeah, yeah uh, to me a remix at that time a remix was i always believed it should have some connection to the original it could be a new track but but it should have some connection to it. In sure. other words, don't just take a bunch of samples and write a new song. Yeah. It's got to have some connection. So they were an expansion of a track. Let's say looking at a track a different way as opposed to writing a new track. Absolutely, yeah. So, so that's what remixes were then. I know now that, that, that um, you know, people are quite happy for you to take the samples and just make a new tune. Yeah. Um, but that's not a remix. That's, that's, no, no, uh, that's, that's, a new, that's a new tune. That's a exactly. reinvent. Exactly. 
and it can be totally valid as well. You know, it can be totally valid. But sure. but that time, I mean, Nine Inch Nails was was, was had such a fan base. Yeah. And it seems stupid to 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 just make something that didn't relate to what the track was. You know, yeah. although looking back, we would have been. I guess more creative and more free if we just did whatever we wanted, you know, and created an ice cream tune with, with, <laughs> with, with, you know, with, with the, the Smurfs, the, the Smurfs singing, I want to fuck you like an animal or whatever, you know. Um, but well, that's what a remix was then. And I think they worked out quite well because, um, absolutely, yeah. They were great fun. And, um, and the fact that, that, that our little version got used on seven was great. You that's know? actually, yeah. So, I mean, Closer is kind of the song that brought, a lot of people into Nine Inch Nails. And, I mean, in many ways, it was kind of the perfect song. It had that inaccessibility. It had that accessibility. It had hooks. It had a memorable chorus. It had that, that music video that is burned in everybody's mind. But the thing that you guys made, it somehow... It was, it was even better in ways. Like, Closer... It's a pop song, you know, when you strip away all the, you know, I want to fuck you like an animal and all the religious imagery and all the, you know, the monkey tied to a crucifix. It's a pop song. But the remix that you guys did that ended up being used in Seven is something, it's so different. So, I mean, can you talk a little bit about the process of of that recreation? Yeah, yeah, I've got it, I've got it embedded in my mind because I don't know if you know that the, the NIN forum asks for... Uh, the Nine Inch Nails oh, Forum recently asked yes. for some some other versions of that that we had, but that's actually sort of like, what led me into where we are right now. You know, I saw those things pop up, and I thought those were amazing. And then, you know, I I'm like, well, you know, what is Danny Hyde doing right now? Then I wound um, I wound up at Oral Rage and and so on and so forth, and until this moment. But but yeah, I I enjoyed those, and I actually that one remix of, of Closer, which was basically the one that you released, but with more layers on it. Well, see, that was the home version. Um, oh, that's, okay. That's what the the process of closer. By by the time we got to closer, after gave up. Yeah. Pete had got Trent on board to what we were going to do anyway. So to instead of to save money, he almost. Um, having said that, we we still did it. I don't know why, but but we, he sent over the multi tracks, and he also sent over dats of every single recording. Yeah. Of what was on those multi tracks to back it up, but we went in because we needed the code, and we transferred. You know, let's say right side Simti code, left side instrument, every mm -hmm. single track. It was 48 tracks. So, wow. so uh, well, that would have been 46, two tracks of code, you know, yeah. on, the, on the end layers. And um, so you've got all the vocal and you've got the code. You've got this and you've got the code. You've got this and you've got the code. And what we did is we, made, we, we doubled those dats. Pete, Pete went off to his place with a dat and he had, and his, and he had his new G, um, GRM machines and stuff. And I went off with my, my uh, dat. And we completely independently decided, let's just stick to the same key and the same tempo. But you do whatever you want, and I'll do whatever I want. Nice. And then we'll meet, and we'll put it together and see what we've got. So wow. Pete went off and did all his twisted vocally bits. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I did all that intro-y bit. And, and then we met, and, and, and he had all these strange sounds, you know, like staircase, and all this stuff. Yeah. And he... And, and we just put both versions together. He ran his version. We sunk both versions up together at one of our, one of our houses. And we just sunk them together and, and took bits of his bit and bits of my bit and just molded them together and said, yeah, this is great. Okay, let's make this the master version and created the master version and then went into the studio and, and, and sunk it up against the original multi-track. So, yeah. so then we could flash to the original. We could cut our versions out and cut to some of that version. And... and, and 
and and that's how it came about yeah it was it was the perfect way of working i mean pete got to work at home doing what exactly what he wanted i got to do exactly what i wanted and we knew full well we were in the same key this was before the internet don't forget yeah so yeah. <laughs> so so it wasn't like we could just uh, send over files to each other and sure. keep in, keep on board we just completely did what i knew what kind of what he was doing because he played it a little bit down the phone let's say and he kind of knew what i was doing and and we knew we it would sync together and we knew we were in the same key and we we're in the same time signature so there'd be no problem whatever happened and we it was just like a happy marriage just chuck them together and, and then just filter out what you don't need you know yeah wow, um, that's that's fantastic and it was great fun and looking back i guess it sent it saved nine inch nails a whole heap of money because we could have done that all in the big studio you know yeah so those those re, those re-released versions um that that i gave over to the nin forum they're yes. what we were doing at home they were before we got to the big studio if you see what i mean gotcha. and I, yeah and I, and considering how basic our equipment was then at home i'm actually quite i was pleasantly surprised when i listened to them i couldn't see two thousand dollars a day difference in this version as opposed to our home versions if you see what i mean exactly and that's the thing today i mean there there's not that much that goes in in most cases there's not that much that goes into remixes people just think of it as you know oh we got to make a dance version of this song i mean the idea of like the crafting and the creation that went into the closer remix that's that's it's something you don't get anymore and it would be so easy today to just, you know, click a couple buttons, open up an app and say, yeah, there you go. There's your remix. But Well, I, t- I tell you what, it's fun- it is funny because I there was something about those days where I heard this when, on the pod interview you did. And pod was kind of saying the same thing. There was something about the fact you couldn't just press, let's say, the Aphex Twin button. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you had to really, I mean, when you're talking about a sampler being triggered by a sequencer, and, and, and the sampler is not computer-based. It's a hardware instrument. Yeah. And you have to get in note for note and tweak around, then get on the sampler and, you know, change the timing of that so that it loops correctly. And it, it really took hours to get even the simplest loop going. Yeah. You know, and then, and then you discard it, you know, after exactly, spending hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was a kind of it – a, it was a different process. It was a lot more um, time-intensive, let's say. Sure. And, and to, and 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 you'd think that now that you can just press a button and get a thing, we should be able to get better results now. Because going back to what I said before, with Pete's theory of sometimes the just first let thing it happen. you do is yeah, yeah, just let it happen. If you can let it happen a lot faster and you don't get bogged down by the mechanics of it, you should, in theory, be able to get these superior superior results. You know, but, but logically, yeah. But the problem is yeah. now that everybody has access to this, you know, you can have a cat walk across an iPad and say, yeah, that's, that's my remix. I made that. It's called the, it's called the kitty remix, you know. Can you? What? And you get paid? I like this. Like <laughs> yeah, <good> exactly. <laughs> I'll put you in touch with some guys. <laughs> well, so going, going back a little bit, um, the remixes you did with, uh, with Coil for Fix were some of, they're still some of the most striking remixes I've ever heard. You guys managed to take Broken, which at the time, it still remains kind of the hardest and most explosive, destructive record Nine Inch Nails has ever made. You made that even more so. Can you describe the process of taking uh, Broken and creating Fixed out of it? It started like a normal remix of uh, what I've been doing a lot of at that time at, at Matrix Studio. You know, is I've been working with a guy called Ben Chapman, and he did some really good. His his love was Public Enemy and stuff, and we did we did a lot of stuff around that 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 kind of vibe, let's say. So yeah, when when the gave up remix come up come in, I was in that frame of mind, 
so you know i started with a drum beat and 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 laid it down and, and we started messing with stuff and and pete and jeff were great at saying you know no done like that yeah like that don't no, no, like that you know <laughs> it was it, it's, it's quite straightforward and and so you give them a couple of faders to play with because you knew they'd do great things sure and 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 i guess the most striking part of gave up is the vocal bit all chopped up and that came yes. about it's been over 20 years are you finally ready to share the secret <laughs> well do you know what i started using it again the other day and i love it so much i don't want to give it away because <laughs> <laughs> but it is so ludicrously simple i i should <laughs> i should say it really shouldn't i and then people go what is that all it is all right what it was was i've got an mp i've got an mpc 60 which which unlike software sequencer an mpc 60 is very easy to set a loop going round and round and round and round and round whatever sure. So I just set up a loop with, let's say, quavers, okay? Okay. So it's firing quavers, small quavers. Yeah? Yeah. So I fire that at a sample, and I've got a sample in my S1000, which it would have been at the time. There wasn't anything more advanced. And So you've got an S1000. You've got a sample of Trent's vocal. Let's say you've got the first verse, okay? Sure. And you've edited it just to contain the first verse. You haven't touched individually within that verse. you just got the first verse. Okay. So what I did then is I said... I said, Jeff, look, have a go at this. So what he had was he had the cursor, which moves it to the front of the sample, okay? Yeah. So you set it to a certain increment so it can do tens, hundreds, or whatever of samples. Yeah. And, and one, one, one control will do that, whether it will do tens, hundreds, thousands, or whatever, and one will actually move the thing. So in theory, every time that sample's triggered, it's going to be triggered from a different spot within the first verse, let's say, yeah? Yeah. But, but at a rate of da-da-da-da-da-da-da, yeah? So by, by, just by chance, you run the multi-track, it triggers the sequencer, the sequencer fires the sampler, the sampler fires from wherever the man controlling the knob puts the, the cursor. Yeah. And Jeff sat there and just twiddled like a nutter. <laughs> and so he's moving the cursor randomly. <laughs> you can't even program where it's going to go because he doesn't even know where it's going to go. And we ran it, and the first take was just great. I said, that's great. Yeah, that's the one. It's, it's Let's so, use that. It's such a singular, just absolutely standout, and especially with the drum beat. And it just it it makes something like that track itself is already just so kind of frenetic. But what you did just took it to such a, like, things falling apart in the studio, and, like, the walls are exploding, and it's just, yeah. Well, but. you know, looking back, I think, I mean... It was complete luck that Jeff just... Because don't forget, he's playing the cursor like an instrument. Yeah. As he's, as he's feeling it, he's moving it. If he likes what he's hearing, he's not going to move it. So he's just going, eh, yeah, like that. I'll leave it for you know two beats. Eh. So it's kind of got a human interaction. But I think what made it interesting was the fact we hadn't just laid out a bunch of samples on a keyboard and hit them because that always gets into a certain pattern yeah when it you feels arranged way. yeah yes uh, but this was just so random it's impossible to say that was a great take can you do it again but change the bit at the end that's not possible yeah because you, he doesn't know where he was within the sample and he's also changing the increments the sample cursor moves with one control and moving it with the other so it's just it's like a random experiment of fun yeah, it's like and, not even controlling chaos. It's just being a—it's being in the tornado and just recording what happens. You've got it. But Coil being Coil, they allowed that to happen. Every other band would have said, okay, that was lovely. Let's sequence it properly now yeah, or whatever. Yeah, let's, let's be serious, guys. We can't yes. release that. The record company's not going to like that at all. But, but they just loved it and said, yeah, that's great. You know, and then we did it. 
And on, I think we used the, the same process again on Hills Are Alive, which is a choral track. Yeah, uh, yes, yeah. Where, there, where there's a, a jamming thing at the end. And it's the same thing. You play a riff, you put it into the sampler, and you just throw the cursor around like a madman. <laughs> triggered by whatever increment of of you know bit 16ths eighths or even triplets or whatever you want to do whatever rhythm you want to trigger it by sure you do and that that was a process that was that and i i still actually now and again i think oh let's try that again on on the on the lick and i just love what comes out of it you know yeah. and and then you create a new loop out of it and you go wow that's i love that sure yeah, i'll use that so so i still actually i started using that again every every seven eight years <laughs> use that for something well I th yeah I mean it works wonderfully because depending on what you use as the source material it's going to sound different every single time like if you're if you're sampling you know uh, a free jazz concert with that it's going to sound different than it was your so you know you're sampling you know Trent Reznor screaming it's going to sound different every single time yeah yeah because it's 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 using some elements of the original rhythm you know yeah exactly or, or, like of Trent's um enunciation or whatever you know it's using that duh, 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 incorporating that in in the flick and and so it's it. I mean, I know there is software now you could actually program that to do. You know, you could do, you could do something that would do that. That would man, that would physically move a cursor on a sample, but it would be set to a rhythm. Exactly. And like programmed randomness is never going to sound as good as actual chaotic ra human randomness. I think that's the secret element. Yeah, that's the magic ingredient to this paella. You know, that's sure. the that, that's the saffron. Let's say. Um, <laughs> so that's how that came about, and. Um, Again, it was a studio that was in Parsons Green, which is not far from Chiswick, Matrix 2. And the guys, you know, they, they, they came in and, and we did that. And, and then they went home and I couldn't be bothered to go home. So I stayed and, and, and did a load of nonsense all night, which for absolutely, <laughs> and I will say for absolutely no point, because like Pete said, the They're first like takes are often the best. Yeah, yeah that's, that's so, something. So, I mean, I'm, <laughs> when I'm not podcasting, I'm a, I'm a voice actor in New York and you'll have sessions that are an hour, two hours, three hours, and it turns out at the very end, they'll say, could we hear the first one again? <coughs> okay, we're just going to go with the first one again. Yeah, you got yeah. it. It's, yeah. Some, I guess us humans don't give ourselves enough credit sometimes for, exactly. <laughs> for, for running on uh, automatic. Eh? We, we, we feel that unless we've had some control over it, it can't be right. I exactly, guess. yeah. Or if you walk in there and say, I'm doing one take, you'll take the first take, then you know it's an ego thing as opposed mm -hmm. to, I'm pretty sure you guys are going to like the first one. Okay, yeah, yeah, so sure. moving into um, Electric Sewer Age and, and Aural Rage, the customization of Svepak, that harkens back to uh, coil their penchant for unique artwork and unique packaging. What was the uh, what's the importance of the unique packaging for Svepak? Oh, don't forget there is a generic version. There's a generic version, but you can also yeah. pick. What is it? There's there's twenty or thirty different different covers. No, no what there was was 150. 150, yes. 100, 150. I don't know. It just again, it was an experiment. It seemed like a bit of fun. I thought, why not? Sure, sure. Why not? Because I mean, to be perfectly honest. If you took a beautiful piece of artwork you liked, say you like the screen, yeah. for instance, yeah, yeah. and you wanted to use the screen on something, let's be realistic. You would have to pay someone to make a thousand copies of that. Yeah? Absolutely, yeah. It occurred to me that I could do whatever I wanted if I did one version, because that's not offending anybody to a degree. It's just one unique version of something. Sure. So that was the original rationale behind it. And then I thought, well, my family are artists. I want to use some of their artwork. Mm -hmm. my, 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 my blood dad's a painter, my sister's a painter, you know, even my daughter paints something I like. So I thought, let's make this personal. So, so it, it became about that, that, you know, 
let's make in these days of download when nothing means anything yeah much anymore let's see if there is a market for someone who wants something that's totally unique but not at a price that's you know restrictive yeah so that 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 was that that was the original idea for the experiment. So I I printed up you know let's say five hundred generics, and then if somebody wanted one of the special ones, depending on what the mood was that day or how I felt, I I I create one of those just for them. Yeah. And 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 and, and that would be that version. That'd be number twenty or twenty one or whatever. And 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 that would be that. It was it was kind of just purely an experiment because you could now do it. You could never do it before. You had to do everything in mass bulk. Exactly. I, I figured, as well as the fact that I figured, yes, I might be able to sell more CDs like this, obviously. I, but you're getting the, more value. I mean, even you know, even nowadays when someone says, oh, no, no, this is limited edition, each one of them is it's one of 500. There's going to have a number written on it. I mean, that's unique. But to say, I, you put in the order, I made the artwork, and then sent this to you. I mean, that is the definition of unique. Well, it, it, because we could do it now. Yeah. Do you know, if, if Pete had lived, it was a real shame because... That was released about three, four months after Pete died. Yeah. But always in my head, I thought, if this experiment kind of works, Pete being such a great artist, I'd sure he'd love this, you know, this technology to be able to, to do this Absolutely. as one-offs. Because, because in these days of download, where everything is like almost like a Coca-Cola it becomes because it's yeah. so mass-produced, let's say, it seemed the opposite end to do something that was just an absolute one-off. But yeah. not charging a stu- not charging stupid money, just charging just slightly over a normal CD, let's say. Yeah. And and hoping that that some people would think, yeah, I'll I'll actually buy that rather than just download it. Because at the end of the day, like I say, I do have five kids. I have an ex-wife with four kids. I have a, a son in Thailand. The reality is, these guys need some cash. Absolutely, yeah. That's just the reality of the world. I mean, particularly in Thailand, you're not going to get free baby milk. You're not going to get free this. You're not going to, you know, the fact of the matter is money is needed. And so I figured, yeah, this would be nice. This will, this will support someone who's actually buying the thing. And it might actually, because even 20 quid, let's say, can buy something in Thailand. So it, it was kind of a double-edged thing. It was the thing of maybe someone will be interested in this, but this is such great fun. I'm going to do it anyway. So, you know, you buy the machine to print the CDs and all this kind of stuff. And you don't know if you're ever going to get that money back, but you just really want to do the idea, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's bringing joy back to creating something. Sure. As much as you can. Yeah. As much, you know, I mean, it's, it's not got uh, hand-painted artwork on it. I wanted to do this a different way. I wanted to use artwork from, say, the family. You know, I got the okay from my dad and my, my sister. I could use these certain pieces, let's say. And then they have a, a unique piece on a on a CD, you know, and uh, it just seemed like a nice a nice thing to do. And I'm sure if if Coil were still around, they would have they would have seen that. Probably would have got stuck into it, you know. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's right up their alley. Um, so so the last remnants of Jeff Balance and Peter Christopherson's music, the last music they ever made, was utilized on. Nature of Nonsense and Moon's Milk in Final Phase, respectively. And um, yeah, well, the vocal Jeff did for me on on um, um, on Nature of Nonsense. Yes, I, I I've been on to him about a year or two to do me a vocal, mm-hmm. um, and it was literally it was a literally a month before he died. The vocal was sent over. Mm-hmm. Pete had actually finally bullied him into standing still because obviously Jeff was going for a lot of problems at that time, and I there yeah. I didn't realize. I didn't realize. 
and 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 actually got you know got him to stand in the studio and sing against the backing track I'd sent. Mm-hmm. And these are the CDs I was talking about. They sent over CDs of all these vocals, you know. Yeah. And I could, and Peter just recorded the whole vocal, let's say sixty minutes, and then another sixty minutes or whatever, and said, "Take what you can from it." And it's in that that I've got all the human, you know, laughter and him shouting at Sleazy, Sleazy, <laughs> what are you doing, and all this kind of stuff. And that to me is so important now, you know. But at the time, that was just I didn't realize Jeff was going to leave us, and yeah. and so it was just a load of stuff I had to get through to find the vocal we could use you know sure um and 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 then a month later you know before i'd even finished the track before i even could play it back to jeff i got the email from pete that that, that you know jeff had died yeah um and so that 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 was the last thing obviously i ever worked with with john uh jeff on yeah was, was a nonsense thing um and electric sewerage moon's milk well electric sewerage was a great idea from john deke and and when i spoke to pete about it in 2006 he was well into it now the original idea was let's do a bunch of music from all of our you know network of friends let's say yeah. or, or circle and let's not credit anybody let's you know so someone can imagine this is from pete or this can imagine this is from joe blogs or can imagine this is from yeah. let's say thurwell if we got him involved or whatever mm-hmm. But they don't know the, the extent of who's collaborating with who. So they either just like it or they don't like it. There's yeah. no, there's no, I like this because it's that bloke. There's none of that. It's, it, it was an experiment. It was John Deke's idea, and I thought it was a great idea sure. to, just, to just put something out and see if someone liked it on the basis that they, it was from this fraternity, but they weren't sure the involvement of how much each person had. They could almost try and guess how much each person had. That yeah. was to be the idea. So we did a bunch of tracks in 2006, and I finished them actually in Bangkok. And then before we came out to the point where we released, Pete died. So, mm. so it, seemed, it seemed logical to use the last Moon's Milk tracks that I'd done with Pete. That, I'm not saying it's the last stuff Pete ever worked on, because obviously he was working on stuff to the day he died, sure. and I wasn't there. But, but the last stuff I ever worked with him, and I thought, do you know what? At the time, nobody was sure what was going on, and all I was seeing was pirates releasing stuff, and stuff was appearing on the internet. And I thought, you know what? Pete knew. Pete Pete had problems in Thailand financially. He knew about supporting people. He knew how how important it was. Let's use these tracks. Let's get them out there officially before they just go out on the internet forever and yeah. and and make some Russian guy some money on a CD. Let's, let's, let's jump before that. So yeah. the, John D came up with the idea and I said, well, I'm, I'm not sure, but let's think about it. You know, this is not the same as a, as a collaboration where nobody knows what anybody did because we're naming this. Yeah. And we talked it backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And I had a meeting with Ian Johnston in London and, 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 um, Geordie, who was, who was kind of acting as executor. Exec- mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I to and fro with them about this is what I wanted to do and, and the logic behind it. And I finally got the okay, yeah, do it. So, so that's how that first Moon's Milk in Final Phase came about, mm-hmm. and, and named. I mean, it's pretty much a Peter Christopherson track. Gotcha. You know, yeah. there's no, there's no hiding the fact this is not a collaboration with a million secret uh, masked masked men. You know, this yeah. is this was to be a project, and it was finalised and mastered. This is why I'm, it got released because it actually got okayed by Pete. It wasn't like these were the rough drafts. These were the masters that came back from Mark from mastering. They were in the state. They were to be at this release. You know, they're, they're in the release state. So I could happily say that 
this was Pete had okayed these for release. These were not demos or whatever. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So that's how that came about. But now, now we've lost Pete, and now just recently we lost John Deke as well. Mm. Um, the ESSA project is really, you know, it's really, it's really going to need a rethink because there are still people out there who'd be interested to get collaborations with, and there Absolutely. are these... There are these, which I love, these, these original tracks. You know, it's about 20, 30 minutes of original tracks, which were to be Electric Sewer Age 1. They still are in existence, and they will probably still come out. But from the, from, from, on from there, I had no idea, you know. Sure. I had no idea whether to, because I love the idea of the concept. I love John Deke's concept about not naming things. But the fact the is, my, yeah. yeah, my head is stamped to it now. So, so, so I need to get in some other people. And I, I have... I have actually tentatively inquired with certain people. Mm -hmm. Would they be interested in an idea of this type? Some some known people, you know, they are known in their own right. But would sure. they be interested in the idea of that? And and they and it's been pretty positive. So so I'm hoping in the future, you know, to to take that that particular project on. Yeah, and, and uh, you, I mean that that might even appeal to some people. The the anonymity you could get anybody on there. And as long as it wasn't, you know, vocals where, oh, okay, I clearly know who that singer is. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah. the Essa stuff, the Essa stuff by its very nature, you're right, it, it was never to be vocalized as yeah, such. Yeah, because that way, I mean, it's, I mean, who's going to sit there and be like, I know whose bass playing that is. Whereas if you yeah. just say, you know, this is ESA, these are the people playing on this, that, that's probably going to be, you know, a load off their minds that they don't have to go through contracts and you know you know oh i'm sorry my record label doesn't allow me to play oh, God, on this. Yeah. yeah it would just be come in do this we'll put it out there and just make something interesting that people will puzzle over you know and and, and if it's nice if it works out and it's nice music it'd be it'd be lovely you know i mean people can like it for what it is exactly yeah, instead of but who's it, on it yeah 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 that was to be the original idea and people was all for it i mean he liked the idea and, and you know in 2006 i went over to to texas from bangkok mm -hmm. With a load of stuff from Pete to 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 play to John to to you know to show yes we're serious with this thing, you know we're we're very serious with this thing and then of course yeah. it took some detours with my accident in Cambodia and stuff yeah. but uh, <laughs> as these things do and also if you look at the coil history nothing was ever fast you know I that's, mean you talk yeah, about that's sort of the ongoing about something in two thousand yeah two thousand yeah. in two thousand and six <laughs> means you release in two thousand and fifteen you know <laughs> it's just the way it is. But it, you know what it is? It's worth it. That's the thing. You know, you know that it's it's you know that it is coming eventually, and you know that it is going to be worth it. But so right. so th this this final act of putting out you know putting out the uh, some of the last stuff that they did is this for you? Is this something like putting their spirits to rest or fulfilling their their wishes or, or what does it what does it mean to you? Because it's not just oh hey I put out this album. It's it's a difficult one. I mean, like I said, I, not a day goes by when I don't think of Pete, and I think of obviously I've got ties to Thailand with my son. Sure. Um, but whenever I think of Thailand now, it, it, you know, automatically Pete comes in into my brain, and 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 I feel a loss. You know that he's mm -hmm. not there in Thailand doing music. I mean, for twenty six or something years, I knew this guy, and and he was always there like a big brother. You know, yeah. doing music or doing something interesting or, or doing something that that you that set your brain in a different direction and and to lose that it it, it it's just you know it's really something else and um and so this final thing to go out there was 
I don't have any credit on it, obviously. Sure. But 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 it's you know it's in loving loving memory to Pete and knowing Pete as I did, particularly in the last years, in, you know, as he got in touch with the let's say the real world to a degree, because Pete was always quite wealthy, yeah, when he was when he was um, doing making videos and things. Mm-hmm. But out in Thailand, I think he was coming up against the real world a lot more. You know, he had a, an extended family there. They all required stuff as they, as they do in, the, in, in these kind of countries. No offense, but that's the way it works. Sure. Um, you know, and the, there's always problems. We used to joke, the buffalo's sick. You know, mama's buffalo's sick, so we've got to <laughs> fix the buffalo. Well, he had this big extended family that he had to support, reliant on him. And I think in the end, he really, he understood that pressure that, most people might take as normal pressure, you know, the, the, the pressure of keeping the mortgage paid or whatever. Yeah. And, and so when I, when I put this out, I knew whatever happened, Pete would be, if I don't, like I said, I'm not religious, but if you imagine he was up there looking down, sure. I knew he'd say, yeah, Dan, go for it. I'd rather the money, you know, you got the money as you worked on it, as opposed to Joe bloggings in, in, in Ukraine or whatever. Yeah. And so I had no problem in putting it out. I know I have taken some flack from certain quarters, very small quarters. And it, to be perfectly honest, it's the usual people that have given flack all the time anyway, Okay, uh, have over the years. But um, that was the reason for that. It was a twofold. Number one, I've got to be honest. Number one, get it out there. Number two, sure. financial. I mean, it, that's the, the secret of it. I'm not so dumb as to believe that you know Peter Christopherson's name doesn't mean something exactly I yeah. know that that most people buying it when they when I put them on the database new names I might get lots of new names I know they're buying it because it's Peter yeah that's mar- that's marketing to a degree I'm not so dumb as to believe they're buying it because you know it's it's me so so the rationale was get it out there because Otherwise, it's going to appear on these pay, you know, these these pay sites. Someone's going to get it. Yeah, exactly. Someone's going to get it who's not you. And and again, I mean, it is marketing, but it's not coming from a place of marketing. It's coming from a place of, you know, love and respect that you had for Peter Christopherson. Well, also, Paul, you 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 probably got the little sheet if you've got it with you with the names. I think it was a nice touch to these people that have supported Pete and to a lesser degree, say me over the years. Yeah. It was it was nice to let them have something like a like a memento, absolutely, of them yeah. being involved in something that Pete was involved in. In other words, you're both on the same sheet, exactly. You know, yeah. And so yeah. so that that's where the vinyl came about on that because between me and you, me personally, I haven't actually made any money off the vinyl, let's say, yeah. but I've really enjoyed doing the thing, and I'm really glad we did it. And as you know, most of the manufacture was covered by people supporting it beforehand being told absolutely this is what yeah. we're thinking of doing would you be interested and they and they put their hard-earned money up to say yes i am interested and they made it happen and i think yeah. for all of us all of us that was involved a person that for varying degrees we all loved whether we knew him or whether we'd talked to him on the internet or whether we just loved his music we've all got that little thing now you know absolutely so it, in a way it was a big full stop yeah it was it was a a full stop Okay, and um, so so wrapping up that particular segment, so you mentioned that possibly the new ESA project um, may be possibly on the horizon. What is what is next, definitely, or is that kind of right? Well, the ESA yeah, project, the one we did in two thousand and six, which I love. I incidentally, I actually love the music of it. Yeah, I really do love the music. I it was it was slated to be ESA three. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
after after Pete died and then Moon's Milk became Essa One. Yeah. The, what was originally to be number one was going to be Essa Three because John Deeg had these particular tunes which were based, which were very cool based to a degree. But these particular tunes that had come up from various places, he was adamant that they were going to be Essa Two. You see. Yeah. Um. And we, we had lots of little wranglings about it, him being record company, me not being record company, you can imagine. Sure. And, and he wanted to call it Bad Egg Mystic. And I said, don't be ridiculous. That's so obviously Black Light District. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, you're taking the piss, you know. Why don't we just say, if you like Coil, give us your cash, you know. I mean, this is ridiculous. So that was to be slated to be SO2. And a lot of people heard segments of that to mm -hmm. be SO2. Well, now I'm considering to completely dump SO2 and what was to be what had been told as Essa three, which was originally going to be Essa one, to just bring that out as number two, and then unless some new, you know, these 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 collaborators come forward and really want to get involved, sure, then put the project to bed. Gotcha. Um, that's that's what I'm thinking in in, in the long term over the, over the next year or two. Um, and then you got to the oral rage, and you know, oral rage when it originally came out, I made a purpose. I, I made a a decision, I know it goes against what Pete says where you should just feel things, but I made a conscious decision. I was going to be as far away from Coil as I possibly could be okay. on purpose. I made that decision. Of course, when the reviewers came out that loved Coil, they completely laid into me because, you know, it wasn't Coily. This isn't but Coil, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I made a decision to get as far away as I possibly could from, from what people perceived as a Coil-type thing. Yeah. And so that project's going to stay like it is, and I've got the vocals for a bunch more tracks. I just don't know how I'm going to do them, but they, you know, they're very good melodies and they're sung well, and that's what that project is. And I, I, I probably, I, I've, I've got some, I've got an idea of another album for that to to to, to do, which will come Excellent. first. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But yes, I should put a big stamper on those saying this is not Coil, you know. Exactly. Was all, yeah. The idea of all rage, and I wanted to stand in front of Pete and say, "Hey, listen to this." I didn't want him. To, I didn't want to cringe behind my hand saying, "Yes, I've so obviously worked the way we work," you know. <laughs> I didn't want to face that, so I purposely went the opposite way and made dit ditties, you know, little yeah. ditties. <laughs> so, uh, Danny, we've reached the final segment of digressive obscenity thank you for sticking with me this whole time so this is this is where a while ago i sent you a list of words that i created i need you to tell me which word did you pick and then define <laughs> the word for me define me well i'll tell you what i wrote down exactly what came into my mind okay excellent so i can remember and i, and I, I can read it to you here the word i picked was skirness skirness yes okay yes. And, and what occurred to me, and I had to write it down because I thought, yes, that's exactly what it occurred, what, what it thinks. It, it sounds like a new, a new town. I don't know if you have new towns. Well, you probably do in the States, being it's a new country. But in England, we have a thing called new towns. And they, they build outside the city a new town. And they move everybody from a poor area out to this supposed dreamlike new town, which turns out to be a right dump, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like a new town built to monstrous visions full of drug-addled board streets and lost Neanderthals copulating till death or erectile dysfunction brings things finally to an end. That's what Skirness sounded to me that, for some reason. That is fantastic. Wow. Well, I mean, actually, the way the way that you're saying it, I can picture that. You know, you can see it on a sign. Welcome to Skirness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, welcome to Skirness. And, you know, maybe it has like an umlaut or something. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, Danny, thank you so much. That is an amazing definition. <laughs> 
Um, all right, we've, we've reached the end. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for, you know, just consistently creating these things that are that are interesting and unique and that stand out in this this sea of just just dreck this this easy sea of dreck <laughs> thanks paul all right thanks a lot it's been fun this has been so much fun all right thanks so much <laughs> danny take care i hope to and you paul yeah stuff soon thanks again uh, thanks a lot mate cheers bye obscenity Shit, what was I talking about? I remember just a moment ago I was talking about something And then I forgot what I was talking about Because I was distracted by the guy who did the thing Degressive obscenity Shit, what was I talking about? Thank you for listening to Digressive Obscenity Follow us on Twitter at Digress underscore obscene and rate and review us on iTunes.